Hey friends, this is Fun Therapy, and my name is Mike Foster, and together we're going to dive into the messy and the brutal, but oh-so-beautiful parts of our not-so-perfect stories, and we're going to do it with a smile. You see, the question that we must ask ourselves is, what do we do with the things that have hurt us? How do we carry the pain within our story? How do we respond to the grief and sadness and anxiousness that sits within our hearts? I believe there's one great place to start. We face it. We call it what it is. We name it. We stare it down and then courageously welcome it as our power, as wisdom and insight into our souls. You see, the struggle makes us both fierce and tender, strong and kind. Every setback invites you to finally be what you are always meant to be. My name is Mike Foster, and this is Fun Therapy. Well, I can't wait for you to hear from my new friend, Amber Ray. This is such a great episode. But first, I want to say thank you for your reviews and ratings of Fun Therapy. It means so much to this podcast and what we're doing here when you leave a review. I want to thank specifically John, who left this review on iTunes. Said He said, uh, it's soothing. This is like anti-stressing out. <laughs> which I love. Um, Also another review that says, thanks for making me feel normal. Keep up the great work. Friend, if you haven't left a review or rating on iTunes, I would encourage you to do that. It really helps the Fun Therapy podcast and just lets us know that you're out there and what you're enjoying and what you are liking about the podcast. So leave a review, a rating, and make sure to subscribe. If you're not a subscriber, you don't want to miss some of the amazing episodes that are coming up. I also want to tell you once again about my Brain Detox Guide. It's a simple guide to tidy up your brain and utilize some simple practices to help us all have a calmer, clearer, and less cluttered brain. It's free. It's at my website at mikefoster.tv. You'll see it right there on the homepage. It's called Brain Detox, and you can get that free down, free download, and you can start right away. Also, make sure to follow me on Instagram at mikefoster2000, at mikefoster2000, for uh, helpful wisdom for your everyday life. And now, excited to introduce this episode and our special guest, Amber Ray. Amber is the author of the book, Choose Wonder Over Worry. It comes out in paperback this week. This week, you want to make sure to check it out. If you're a Fun Therapy fan, you need this book. It's so great. I have read it. I've underlined it. I have dog-eared so many pages. It uh, blends raw and relatable stories with actionable aha moments. It's a guide to face your fears and unlock your gifts no matter what's standing in your way. Fortune Magazine has called Amber a millennial motivator and the Brene Brown of wonder. And I love 
that. Such a great description of her. Uh, In this conversation, there's going to be so many great takeaways for you where Amber talks about a season of her life where uh, she describes it as Marie Kondo on the outside and fire festival on the inside. You're going to fall in love with her spirit, her kindness, and her truth-telling. And now, my friends, this episode of Fun Therapy with author Amber Ray. You know, it's a really curious time for me because I feel like, so the last 10 years I've been on this really wild and wondrous journey of deep inner healing, excavating, looking at all my stories, rewriting old scripts, learning to tame my monkey mind and all of that has led me to, I'm in a moment in time where I'm in like the greatest flow of my life. And I feel more free, more joyful, more productive, more alive than ever before. And it's interesting. I was actually journaling about this this morning. And I realized, as I was like, things are so good that there's, there's like a tiny part of me that's like, there's a couple of things. One, like, ooh, like, is my intuition actually leading me the right way or am I going to mess this up? And so a little bit of that, like what Gay Hendricks would call upper limiting. And, you know, I feel like I have the tools now to be like, hey, voice, I see you. See you trying to protect me there. And, you know, we're good. Even if like my intuition isn't on, even if what I'm imagining doesn't work out, because I'm taking a lot of big business risks right now, like even if it doesn't work out, you know, other avenues are going to reveal themselves. So that that one I've been just aware of and, and working through. And then I feel like the bigger one is actually I feel guilty. There's a part of me that feels guilty that things are so good. And like, I don't want to make someone feel bad or yeah, that I don't, yeah, I don't like, I almost like, I'm not that I'm dimming my light, but I'm just, I'm not going around being like, everything is amazing. Both because of, you know, like if we look at, there's some challenging things happening in the world today. And, you know, I think there's a part of me that's like, I can't just be like, oh, and my life is great. Yeah, so I'm curious in terms of how, how do you how do you balance that? And certainly, man, it's awesome that things are are going so well, and you're in this really great flow. But but also the risk, I guess the that like things maybe are heightened in terms of your decisions and what you say, and maybe the 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 critique of maybe what you say. Uh, you're you're more more exposed in some ways. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And there's, there's definitely vulnerability to that risk taking. I'm bringing on new team members. I'm making big bets on, you know, where to take things. And while I feel a level of effortlessness, there's almost a, but is it too good to be true? Mm. This feels like, you know, again, a topic that you talk about in your book, the it's a little bit of the imposter syndrome. It feels mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. creeping in. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, do I do I really know what I'm doing? Do I do I am I really in this actually this shows up all the time because I, you know, I speak about mental and emotional well-being and you know, my vision is really to transform the mental and emotional well-being of everyone everywhere. And you know, that's a long journey and it's going to take a lot of collaborators of course to to realize that and probably will still be going on when I'm no longer here on earth. Though 
there's, you know, there is a part of me that's like, well, you don't have your PhD from X school. Are you sure you're qualified to speak on this? It happens every time I'm speaking at an event um, on this topic. So that's definitely present as well. So the voice is, is a voice that says you're not qualified. You'll be judged for not having the credentials. I would imagine that's that that voice. I imagine just with your practices and sort of your awareness of it, you can you can mitigate maybe some of its volume. But where where does it creep up most for you? Like what what times during the day, or what is it? Is it around when you're speaking? Is it like where does that voice creep in the most? It's in it's when I'm in environments where the crowd, I don't know if they're my people. And so it's, I've even had people like raise their hand and be like, you know, what schooling do you have to talk about this? (laughs) And so it's like, you know, and which is a legitimate question. And, you know, I make the distinction that I'm talking about well-being and my own journey and experience and the tools that I've discovered and, you know, the healers and the scientists and, and the people that I've met along the way. And I'm, I'm synthesizing that through my own experience. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not a, I'm not here to diagnose mental illness, but I can talk about the journey of really healing my own self, looking at my own wounds, finding the wisdom in those wounds. And, um, and that's more, you know, the perspective that I'm coming from. And that's what I have to remind the imposter that, you know, actually my, as you would say, I love that you say setbacks into superpowers. Like my superpower is actually that I'm, I'm more of a, I take a more of a journalistic and investigative approach. I'm more of a translator. Um, I'm not a clinical professional. And I think because of that, I'm much more relatable. And so really focusing on, on, on that gift is what helps me. Um, I've also named my character, my imposter character. His name is Doc. And he's a neurosurgeon at, at Harvard, and he talks <laughs> he, he talks like this. And he often asks me, you know, if I'm preparing a talk, he'll be like, Amber, Amber, are you sure that data point is correct? Do you need more sources? <laughs> that is so wonderful. I love that. <laughs> so tell me about that piece of it, because because that feels like that would be so helpful just to name it and see it and turn it into a character so you actually know how to handle handle doc yeah i mean this has been i i have i've discovered at this point about 18 different characters i know what they look like i know what they sound like i know what their fears are and their unmet needs um this is this is like i sort of accidentally discovered this one day uh while i was writing and i um, realized that there was a perfectionist constantly being like, that's not good enough. You can't say that. People are going to judge you. Except she sounded more like this. That's not good enough. People are going to judge you. You can't say that. <laughs> and I was like, what is this British voice in my head? It's <laughs> like telling me everything is horrible. And I actually said, like, aloud, I was like, voice, you know, British voice in my head. What's your name? And she was like, I'm Grace. And that was like what really began this. And I was like, that's really interesting. And so then I was like, okay, if, and, you know, I'm a creative, so I have a wild imagination. And so I was like, okay, so Grace is this British voice in my head. What does she look like? And I started to like, you know, paint the picture of her as this 30 something woman who lives in London. And, you know, she's afraid of vulnerability because she's afraid of being seen. And if she, you know, is seen, then 
people might not like what they see and they may not love her. And ultimately, she just wants so much love and approval, but you, she would never tell you that. And, you know, her unmet needs are that, you know, feeling that sense of both safety as well as love and approval. And so, like, once I mapped Grace, I was like, okay. And so, and then my, the work is, like, actually talking to Grace. Like, Grace, um, and I, I, like, discovered her unmet needs and what her fears are by saying, like, you know, well, what are you afraid of here? And what is it that you need from me? And, like, what's actually the worst that could happen in me writing this essay that you, like, don't want me to go past the second, second, second sentence of? And... I, I realized that by like, because for a really long time, my, my struggle in my like late teens and early 20s was that I had suppressed and shut down any emotion that wasn't positive and happy. Because I thought it meant that like, I thought positivity and happiness equaled love. And so if I felt an uncomfortable or negative emotion, I was like, you know, either something's wrong with me, um, this is bad, I shouldn't feel this way. and. Um, this is going to mean that I'm like not worthy of love. And so it was like, push it down, push it down, push it down. And so meeting all these characters and dialogue with them is sort of how I, you know, reparented myself or really cultivated a sense of inner wholeness. I just want to quickly let you know that I have a brand new audio bundle of seven guided meditations that you can use in the morning or at night. So you can start your day with them. You can end your day with them. It's called the seven day anti-anxiety meditation series. It includes audio meditations designed to help you reduce stress and sleep better and eliminate tension in your body. And who doesn't want to do that? They're scientifically proven to lower anxiety, improve sleep by relaxing and release stress and feel calmer in less than eight minutes. There's seven audio meditations. Uh, there's a guided meditation to help you show love to the hurting parts of you. There's a body scan meditation, which will help you identify any tension or stress that is held in the body. Uh, one of the guided meditations is around helping you focus on a gratitude moment. They are available at my website at mikefoster.tv forward slash shop, mikefoster.tv forward slash shop. I'd love for you to get these meditations and use them as a daily habit, rhythm, and practice to help you feel more alive. I now continue my conversation with Amber by exploring the pressure she felt to always be positive and to ignore the negative emotions and the pain that flowed from that belief. Who defined love for you that way in terms of the, the positivity equals love? I feel like, well, it was definitely in my, you know, my, some of my closest family members. I, I remember something that my mom very well intentionally did, which was like if I was in a bad mood, I would go through the doorway and like bring back good Amber. Mm. So I would like go through the door and like, like, like I remember like being like, okay, I'm going to like get the bad mood off <laughs> and then walk back in smiling. And I understand my, and I, I like almost feel bad saying that because my mom and I are so close and have come so far with all of this. But I think definitely 
the conditioning of like positivity is, is love. That was part of that, where that came from. So did you feel like there, there was an expectation that maybe some of the negative emotions of sadness or grumpiness or whatever the, whatever the non-positive emotion would be was just unwelcomed and that you couldn't, you couldn't embrace those. Yeah, it was unwelcomed and I couldn't feel it. I needed to shift it as quickly as possible. And so I became really good at, I called myself like a positivity-aholic or mm. a silver lining-aholic, always looking for the good in everything, even when sometimes actually it just wasn't good and it was okay <laughs> to be like, this. no, not good. <laughs> yeah. Or like, I don't feel okay. And that being okay too. So where did that, where did that belief or that, that um, concept of, not being able to feel the the unpositive emotions, where did that eventually lead you to? That led to, oh man, that led to all kinds of toxic and destructive behaviors. It led mm. to, um, well, I thought again, like for me, perfectionism sort of became such a, a big theme for me. And so I would try to control things that weren't perfect. And that led to eating disorders in my teenage years and thinking, well, if I control my what I eat and my appetite, that'll give me a sense of control and then everything will be perfect. And then that led to, you know, I started my career working in tech and branding, went out to Silicon Valley. I was working with all these startups. And then I very much got into like, you know, Adderall as a tool for productivity because my self-worth at that point was so wrapped up in my identity. And if I accomplished more again, that then I'm perfect and people will perceive me a certain way and then I'll be lovable. And so it led to, yeah, just, just me, instead of me just like feeling the feeling of, um, or like embracing my mess or being like, I don't need to do this perfectly or it's okay to make mistakes. I thought if I make a mistake, then I'm a failure. So there was a lot of that, mm. that shame dialogue there. Not like I failed at that thing. It was like, I'm a failure something's wrong with me. I'm not doing this right. And so that had me really isolate and, um, and push people away because I didn't know how to talk about it and I didn't know who to turn to. So on the outside, you're probably brilliant in terms of keeping it all together and the, the positive amber uh, <laughs> version of yourself. And yet on the inside, there was, it just was not working. Yeah, I liken it to my life looks like Marie Kondo on the outside and Fire Festival on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I think a lot of us can relate to that. <laughs> uh, so tell me, yeah, tell me about, um, if, if you're willing, to talk, talk to me a little bit about the eating disorder piece of this and, and how the perfectionism and not being able to feel some of the darker or heavier feelings in your life led to led to the eating disorder? I think, you know, the eating disorder was a combination of things. It was stories and beliefs I'd internalized from society. Um, you know, I'm so grateful that advertising is changing today because when I was a 12-year-old kid and I saw magazines or billboards of what a beautiful woman is supposed to look like, you know, it was a, a Photoshop model and I didn't know that. And I mean, we're still seeing that today with social media and Facetune and all these apps that people use to to change their appearance. Um, but I I really was like, oh, you know, I, am I supposed to look like that? And so th that was that was a part of it as well. Was like this perception of like, and also that that is a woman who's desirable that men want. So 
a, a core wound of mine and also where my mom's desire to like create an environment of positivity and happiness came from is that we lost my dad when I was a kid. And so, you know, from the ages of like, my, my mom and I actually, she got in a really severe uh, near fatal car accident when she was pregnant with me. And so they thought that I wouldn't make it to term. And so my mom was like the power of a positive mindset. Of course, my baby's going to make it to term. And so like, you know, I clearly I'm here. And then my dad got into a car accident and he passed. And so I think there was so much trauma and tragedy for my mom um, in those like as as I was like zero to five that she was like, okay, I, you know, I need to, I need to be this positive force. And so that was one layer of it. And then the other layer of it was that, you know, I had an unconscious father wound of um, men I love might leave me or wanting men's love and approval because I, I didn't have that uh, source of, I didn't have that father figure. And so in those, in those fundamental years. And so the way then I, the way that turned for me was, oh, well, you know, I want men to love and approve me. And so that's how I need to look, or that's how I need to appear in order to be worthy of their love. And so that was a part of the eating disorder as well. And then another was like, you know, I think those contributed to, okay, I need to have it all together. I need to, you know, show up and, and take, you know, take care of things. And, so I need to stuff down my feelings. And so sometimes, you know, my eating disorder was both in, um, I would use laxatives as like a, so I would binge eat and then I would use a laxative. And so it was like I was stuffing my feelings that I couldn't let myself feel, um, which eventually Adderall then also became a tool to curb my appetite. And so it made me way too thin. Um, and that was like part of that cycle. Well, so there was a lot going on in this season of your life. I mean, oh, yeah. um, and isn't it interesting just how trauma, you know, you, you talk about being, you know, five years or younger, but, but just still the awareness of it in your home and the awareness of how it's playing out certainly shaped you as a child and into your teenage years and even to your young adulthood it's talk to me a little bit about the the power of trauma in your life and what you did to um, begin to heal those things yeah it so it was I didn't even know that about this like wound about my dad I was like mm-hmm. oh yeah he passed that's really sad you know I, it was it was very there's a lot of grief there um, and you know, it, almost like the absence of him was, it, of course, it created some sense of pain. But it wasn't until my early 20s where I started to recreate that trauma in other relationships with men that I was like, oh, there's, there's more here that I'm not aware of. And so it was actually through those, that's actually where I, I'd say my like self-awareness and healing journey began was through a really hard breakup. And me thinking I'm not lovable, me thinking something was wrong with me. That's when that really like all of that was super present for me. And that's when I began to wonder, you know, where is this coming from? And began to do some of the 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 healing work. And so from there, I mean, it, you know, it this was when I was 20, how old was I, 21 or 22 years old, and I'm turning 34 now. So 
I mean, I feel like from 21 to like 27, I didn't really, I like my way of um, working through it was I was just writing because I didn't actually know really sources of healing. I didn't know really about therapy. I didn't know about who I could turn to with this. And so my journal and my actually my Tumblr blog back in the day became Mm. a form of a cathartic release. And so, yeah, creative writing and just writing became a way for me to also just like revisit the stories and notice the things I was telling myself. And so that was that was like phase one for me. And then that's what led me to realize there was like a whole world out there of um, understanding your trauma and being able to really navigate those those wounds and those pain points. Um, And then that is actually I, I say that my own mess became my message or my pain became my purpose. Because as I got deeper and deeper, I realized that, and as I was writing about it, people kept saying, wow, you actually put words to something that I'm feeling and experiencing. Thank you. And I realized that through my own gift of awareness or being able to actually verbalize my experience, it could support and guide others too. I love how Amber shares about the unprocessed emotion and the grief of losing her dad, how it lay dormant under the weight of positivity, how the smile on the outside and the silver lining of every dark cloud eventually led to her hurting herself. Friend, you might feel the pressure to smile and to be happy to put on a strong face. You may feel like the struggle or the pain or the thing that you grieve right now is a nuisance to others. Maybe you feel like you don't have time to process it, to to really feel it, to, to get it out of you by doing the work. Maybe you feel like no one would care anyways. It's just your thing to deal with. But friend, whatever aches in your heart right now, it really matters. And it wants to be free. And it wants to be felt. And it needs your respect. And so let me ask you, where does it hurt today? And are you willing, like Amber, to begin that work? you learn about the early trauma maybe what did you even learn about yourself Hmm. I learned that the pain or the trauma or the emotion isn't the problem it's my relationship to it Hmm. that was one of the big sort of earth-shattering awakenings where I realized whoa it's actually not sadness or shame or unworthiness. Um, cause I was like, well, if I, cause again, I was like repeating that feelings are bad. I shouldn't feel this way. I need to make it go away. Um, and as I played into that cycle again, it didn't, it didn't allow me to embrace, uh, embrace what is and just turn toward myself and accept myself and embrace my cracks. And so I feel like the learning to be like, okay, well, how can I actually shift this relationship? How can I love the parts of me that for a long time, I thought were the parts of me that were wrong or bad or not beautiful. 
And I, I liken it to this like idea of uh, it's a Japanese art called kintsugi, which is mm. a process that takes shattered pottery and pieces it back together with gold lacquer. The process doesn't hide the cracks or the imperfections. It sees that as creating a more beautiful and unique piece of art. So I actually I like I went to a I went to a gallery in my I think I was like 25 went to a gallery and they had a piece of kintsugi art there on display and I remember looking at it and seeing the cracks and like seeing the explanation of what the art was and being like I, I have full body goosebumps as I say this because I had full body goosebumps in that moment where I thought whoa what if that's how I approached my story hmm. And so that was a big, so it was like, okay, I can actually, I can shift the relationship. Instead of denying my emotions, I can embrace them. Instead of denying the parts of my story that I'm ashamed of, they can actually become, you know, the parts of my story that make me who I am. And so that's when I realized that I was like, you know, I wasn't a victim to my circumstances. I was actually like, I was the one writing the story. I was the one with the pen in my hand. And so I got to write the ending and I got to really interpret those experiences however I wanted to. I, I, I think about just the, the power of visuals in your life and the power of creativity and how it really was a part of the healing process for you. And even in your work today about you know, the, how you use creativity and art and design to really help no, I'm sure the thing that I always say to myself, I'm both the physician and the patient in terms of my work, <laughs> that I need my own work, um, as do others. Um, how has you know, the, the idea of how you have transformed these pieces of trauma and pain and how you worked that process, how does, how does design and aesthetic and creativity uh, help you uh, not only today but also in in your in your message. Mm. Yeah, for me, writing and creativity was how I found my way back home to myself. It was it for whatever reason it was, and I, I read The Artist's Way around this time, um, and that book was so transformative for me because one, I didn't realize I was an artist. I you know I thought I was mm. like a marketer or a strategist. <laughs> Interesting. And I had like, no, I was like, oh, and which is funny, because of course, as a kid, I was like, I did fashion design, I did, um, I was like writing online magazines. And I was like, I was creating, I was constant, all I did was create, <laughs> whether it was like a business idea or, um, or like a work of art, I was always making things. And so that book really got me got me back in touch with that. And um, but I, you know, I think when I think about art and design and and beauty, I, I've just I'm a four on the enneagram. I don't know if you're familiar with mm -hmm. the enneagram. Oh yeah. So Very like, much so. beauty moves me, and I like things that are, you know, like whether it's a sunset or a work of art for me, that like draws me in. And you know, today, not only the reason that like I, the aesthetic is so important to me because I feel like it makes the experience better for people, and the journey of healing, the journey of looking at our wounds, the journey of self-discovery can feel so isolating and challenging and overwhelming and heavy. And I feel like the way that we 
bring it to life visually can actually make it feel more playful and joyful and light mm-hmm. so that the, you know, we're still, we're going there, but we're doing it in a way that feels approachable and less scary. And that's how I, that's part of how I, I feel like I can reach more people. Yeah. And, and certainly your, your, uh, social stuff does that your book, uh, is full of that. It's like serious topics and really, a lot of vulnerability within your book, but but it certainly, to your point, it, it just there's a joy in it and there's a playfulness into it, which makes it feel. Uh, I think allows all of us just to kind of move into that space where it we feel safe, safer mm-hmm. to, yeah. to talk about that. Safety, so that's me, it. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, you're you do such a brilliant job at that. Um, for your you know, you talk about the the word artist and leaning into that. Uh, I imagine some of that, does the imposter syndrome ever kind of kick up around kind of fundamentally who you are and what you do um, around art? Because I would think, you know, the imposter syndrome would be saying, well, you're, she's a brander or she's a marketer. Um, you, you're not actually an artist. Mm-hmm. Um Tell me about that. Is is that in terms of resting in that truth of who you are? Is that sometimes difficult, or what was the process of kind of getting to that, saying yes, this is who I am? Yeah, claiming. So my my thirtieth birthday was actually a coming out party for my artist, and I had a show at a gallery. Um, but getting to that point of that gallery show, I thought that like I I thought I was having I thought it was dying. <laughs> and I felt like you know the first thing which is it's funny because it's the same thing that comes up with the like emotional well-being work which is when I was like when I realized I was like I'm an artist I remember when I had that epiphany and it was like the most freeing and my whole body relaxed and yes that like I that that defines me more than anything that I've ever known how to define myself and then of course immediately after a voice pipe piped in and was like artist who do you think you are to be an artist you didn't go to art school you're not trained you're not you know and that was that was super loud um and i for this for my gallery show it was the craziest thing there was a there's an art gallery that was across from where i lived in new york and i walked in there um two weeks before my birthday and i said to him like hey do you ever do you know what is your process for bringing in artists or doing shows my I, I just very strangely said to him, I was like, my, you know, my 30th birthday is coming up in two weeks. And I had this vision five years ago that I was meant to have a gallery show. And he looked at me kind of funny. And then he goes, can I see your art? And then I showed him um, pictures of my, my art, which was sort of uh, like painted poetry and had this mixed media feel. And I showed it to him and he's like, actually, this is, this is perfect for my um, show going live on November 1st uh, with Banksy and Shepard Ferry. Um, I can include you in the mix. And these are like two, they were like two, you know, two incredibly well-known artists. And immediately I was like, you know, everything inside of me crawled because there's no way that this would be my first ever gallery show that I could ever have my art on the same walls as them. And so I had four more pieces to create for the show and I like could not get out of my head. I could not get over the fact that I didn't deserve to be there. And it was so loud and so overwhelming and so paralyzing that 
I finally took, I just like for my own cathartic release, I took um, ink and uh, a large sheet of paper and started writing out what I was feeling. Like, I'm terrified. Who am I to do this? This isn't good enough. People are going to judge me. I don't deserve to be here. And I just like let it flow. And then what happened is that, that those became the four art pieces in the show. So it was like the cathartic release took me from like, I don't deserve this to like, girl, let's go. And, mm. you know, it was like this long poem that I actually um, cut out and like made into the four pieces. And of course, what was so interesting is that, you know, at the show, people said that that was what they resonated with the most because it was like yeah. the most honest thing on the wall. And so um, it was such an interesting, like, again, like, how do we, what do we do with, uh, what do we do with those thoughts? What do we do with those feelings? We actually channel them and, and create things with them. And, and that can have us create, you know, works of art that are far more resonant than we would ever realize because we're actually in, in it when we're creating it, which is actually like writing my book brought up every voice inside my head that I thought I had worked through that I didn't know was going to come back and visit me again. All the characters Grace was there. Doc <laughs> right. was there so many more. And that actually the, the reason that I structured my book the way that I did was because through writing my book, I was meeting all of these challenging emotions. And so in the book, it's structured as meet procrastination, meet fear, meet imposter syndrome, meet perfectionism, which literally was like the timeline of emotions I was going through as I wrote it. <laughs> wow. I love that. I think part, I, I, you know, it's so true what you're saying is that uh, the way to disempower the, the voice and the, the critic and the perfectionistic um, things that we hear and Doc and the characters, it, it literally is to say it out loud, write it for everybody to see, create, you know, put it in an art gallery and all of a sudden all that control that it actually had in your life it, it's rendered powerless because it's now out there yep it transforms it shape shifts yeah that's people always people come to me and they're like i'm so outraged and i'm stuck in my rage i'm like oh well what are you outraged about whatever their specific outrage is i was like great what so how can you use that as fuel like it can be a dinner party mm -hmm. It could be a poem, it could be a painting, it could be a talk you give, it could be, it could be, you know, you, we can use the emotion, which is an, a re, emotion is such a powerful energy. And when we learn how to channel it and write it and use it as fuel, I think it creates masterpieces. Thank you, Amber, for just opening up your life and your story to us today. Such great important uh, insights and honesty that is really you know is going to help so many friend i want to make sure that you get amber's book it's new in paperback it just is coming out uh, this week on paper in paperback and it has some bonus content it has um just some, some new uh, stuff that she has put in it. I, I found her book just to be such an easy read and such a helpful read. It's called Choose Wonder Over Worry, Move Beyond Fear and Doubt to Unlock Your Full Potential. And I want to encourage you to pick up a copy. It's available at Amazon 
or wherever books are sold. You're going to love the creativity in it. She has these drawings and some prompts, and it's a very practical, helpful book. It's not just words. It's there's this, as you probably picked up with Amber, just this beautiful creativity just flows out of her and onto these pages. It's a, it's a wonderful read, a helpful read. Choose wonder over worry, move beyond fear and doubt to unlock your full potential. There are certain books that I read and I read maybe half of it or some books I read, maybe the first chapter. This book I read cover to cover, underlined so many things, dog-eared a bunch of pages. I keep going back to it because it's so good. Also make sure to follow Amber on Instagram at Hey Amber Ray. H-E-Y, Amber, A-M-B-E-R, and her last name is Ray, R-A-E. You can also uh, learn more about Amber and her resources and the things that she's doing at her website at AmberRay.com, AmberRay.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to please share it with your friends and followers. Just screenshot your phone right now and post it. Make sure to tag me in it so I can reshare it. Again, I'm on Instagram at MikeFoster2000, on Twitter at MikeFoster. Friends, thanks for for listening. Um, I want to say thanks also to Sleeping at Last for the uh, beautiful music of this episode. You can get all of Ryan's music wherever it's wherever it's sold, wherever it's played, Spotify, iTunes, or at Sleeping at Last. Don't forget about the new guided meditations and the free brain detox uh, download at my website at mikefoster.tv. And remember, no matter what has happened in your story, that your setbacks can become your superpowers and honesty is always the best policy. We'll see you next time on the Fun Therapy Podcast.